I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Rod Carley joins me again. He's got a new collection of short stories coming out in a couple of weeks, Grin Reaping. I've only started reading it, and it's uh, already funny. It's described as a collection of humor, and that it is, but it also has a lot of heart. We meet the uh, fictional Boyle family. First, our central character, Rudy Boyle, who is uh, stuck in uh, middle age and in the middle of his five siblings. They confront life and all that entails, including getting older. There are 14 interconnected stories, and they reflect what we're all thinking about, life, uh, mortality, gender, climate change, human nature, and the grief of losing family. The characters are rich and enjoyable to be around. I'll get Rod to tell us about these stories, these characters, and the sort of life uh, stuff he's thinking about. Rod Carley was first on the program in 2020 upon the publication of his second novel, Kinmount. It uh, won the uh, silver medal for uh, best regional fiction from uh, the 2021 Independent Publishers Book Awards and uh, was one of 10 books longlisted for the 2021 Leacock Medal for uh, Humor. His first novel, A Matter of Will, was a finalist for the Northern Lit Award for Fiction. He is an alumnus of the uh, Humber School for writers and resides in North Bay, Ontario, where he joined me from this past weekend. His website is at rodcarley.ca. This new book is from Latitude 46 Publishing and will be available the 18th of June. Please uh, welcome back to the Plant Online Program, Rod Carley. Mr. Carley, good morning. Uh, great to be here, Joe. Nice to talk to you again. Um, this book um, is funny, as I was just telling you. Um, but I don't think a, a, a humor book is, is the right descriptor. I mean, I... The book really is about life. It has a lot of heart, um, yeah. and and the way you um, draw out the characters makes them so rich that that you know one can't help but like them and, and say want to know more. Um, since you're you're its author, its creator, I mean, how would you describe the book? Okay, well, I think I'll, I'll begin by describing, I guess, why I wanted to write the book. Okay, mm. so. Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I had this thirst for reading, and one of the first authors that I fell in love with was the work of J.D. Salinger, mm. and particularly his fictional Glass Family. And, and, and as a teenager, they kind of became like these heroes for me, and they were these quirky role models that were living in the New York City apartment in the Upper East Side of New York City. And uh, so I wanted to be an actor like Zooey Glass and a, a guru like Seymour and a writer like Buddy. And of course, these weren't the career paths that my high school guidance counselor was suggesting I follow. And <laughs> yeah. Salinger, unlike the fictional Glass family he created of seven kids, he only had one elder sister. And he wrote the Glass stories to fill that void. Well, I have one younger brother. And similarly, I wanted to write this collection of stories uh, to a, a fictional character, um, Rudy Boyle, so I could uh, sort of uh, expand my sense of family mm. and and create a literary family of my own and that that was initially the driving force of it and then through Rudy was to ground it in a character a kind of alter ego uh, that observes the world around him and sometimes completely you know flummoxed by what happens and but also you know he's it's observational humor as he as he is he sort of um, quits his way through life and, and finds a way to cope. And 
I use humor, I think all humorists will say this, is that, as, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of David Sedaris's work as well. Mm. And certainly he's a, got a great self-deprecating wit. And I think with humor, um, use, we use humor in our everyday life all the time because it helps us uh, survive those really difficult moments until maybe a solution presents itself and then we can kind of get back on the rails. And so, and we all use humor to make life a little easier for each other. So, Beneath the humor of the book, and, and definitely I, I wanted, I wanted, I come at like serious topics through humor. The undercurrent, though, uh, in the book, there's a lot of loss going on in this book. As we have uh, parents that die, and, and I don't want to give it all away, but sure. there are parents that die in the book, and, and others. And it's, it's the coping mechanisms of the family uh, of dealing with that. And, and that's hence the title. In reaping, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes all we have is we laugh because we have no other choice. Exactly. And 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 I I really appreciate you saying that you um, that you like the warmth of the characters. I um I I find myself like especially with this book more than anything I've written that this family, the Boyle family, they feel so real to me that as real as uh, people in my life. And and I and. Uh, and, 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 and so I think in writing them, I really felt when I was creating them that I knew them as these flesh and blood people. And of course, they're all combinations of various yeah. people I've encountered in my life that I ended up, you know, molding into this, into this family. Um, and interesting enough, when I began writing it, uh, Joe, it was just going to be kind of Rudy and him tapping topics like, well, I knew I wanted the topic. Uh, to tackle gender and mm-hmm. climate change and uh, mortality mm-hmm. and and aging as we all age and, and that happens and I, I knew I wanted to deal with some of those big ticket items and then there's a lot of other um, sillier things that in that Oscar Wilde tradition uh, Rudy Boyle often exaggerates trivial things and makes them very important and sometimes skips the big things and, and underplays <laughs> them yeah, yeah. right that, that's part of how he works right yeah. and I wanted the whole feel of the book to have this sort of um, exaggerated strangeness of kind of like a literary home movie, right, that your parents would put on when you were a kid on the old screen in the basement, and you'd watch these sort of embarrassing home movies. So, and certainly that happens to Rudy a lot. He's embarrassed a lot in the book. Um, uh, I guess the humor-humiliation combo, and and because he's a a bit hapless at times, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's also helped us care about a character, right, Uh, when he is that and and self-deprecating. But also, as I was writing the story, because I, I began writing the, the first story about five years ago, and it began, as I was saying, as sort of this creation of family mm-hmm. and this central character observing life. And in the course of the writing of the stories, um, both of my parents passed, mm-hmm. and a couple of really, really close friends. And so the narrative then, as I began to write it, um, I didn't know initially. I knew I was going to be writing that about the mother, uh, Rudy's mother, but I didn't know about the father. Mm. And so I have found then my own grieving process that I went through began to sort of filter into the writing of these stories as they, as they continued. And the characters, of course, when you're writing, eventually they take on a life of their own. They want to turn the pages themselves, right? And they're telling you what to do. And I kind of marveled at that, how where the collection went to and what it finally arrived at into, um, you know, in the end, what, what is, what, they're, they're a story of love, right? They're a story of acceptance, of love, of, of, of family, of, of community. 
and how we're all trying to do the best we can. And, uh, we, and somehow uh, we muddle through. I was thinking of, you know, that uh, the, the, the Christmas song, uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, oh, right? Yeah. And there's that line. I think it came from the film Meet Me in St. Louis, if I'm not correct. Yeah, that's right. Mistaken, yeah. Right? And, and there's that line, we'll muddle through somehow. Yeah. And the past two years have all been about muddling. And, and, and then that lyric is really, really stood out, particularly this year, this, this past Christmas. And I was just thinking about, we've been muddling for two years, right? Exactly. Because we didn't know yep. when, when the pandemic might end. And so, in many ways, this book isn't uh, you know, set during COVID in any way. Though there is a tease story, I won't give it away, where there is one little connection to it. And, and, and lizard people aliens, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, right. But the um, the sense is we're all muddling through life, and and we don't know. So when we all want to make some kind of sense of it, so I created this character Rudy Boyle to uh, to do that for us to try to make some sense of these difficult, challenging times we're living in, and to do it with humor and hopefully some insight, and uh, in a way that readers will kind of recognize. And pennies will drop for them, and uh, you know, because our collective humanity is all drawn in yeah. with a need for acceptance and understanding and love. So uh, that that was right on, on that level. Indeed, indeed. So I, I um, if one googles you, you can find out your age. Um, uh, you turned mm-hmm. sixty this year, I understand. I did. Uh, I, I did. I turned forty this year, and um, you turned forty. Okay. Yeah, and so I, you know the. The idea of um, mortality, um, yeah. I, I, you know, is something that one thinks about, I guess, uh, throughout yes, their life. Yeah. But but after forty, I think you think about it more, don't you? Well, you know, it's interesting. Yes, you do. But here's what's happened: before I turned sixty, yeah, I had friends that were in the early sixties or mid sixties, and they they would be saying to me, you know, when you turn sixty, everything's going to change about your outlook. And I and I like and I'd be like, no, are you kidding? It's just a number. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's just a number. Yeah. I just will go on doing what I do, and I just, you know, check it off, off the list, right? But so I, I turned 60, what, about three, three months ago. Yeah. And so there is something different. And it's not this giant change, but the, there is an awareness of time ticking and that there's a limited amount of time left, and one doesn't know what one has, right? That's the whole nature of it all. You don't know. Yeah. But you, I'm certainly aware of, I know that time's ticking, so it, there's lots of things that I still want to. There's no more of that. Oh, I can all oh, wait. I'll, I'll do that in a few years. No, sure. I better get on that now because I don't know. Okay, there's a bit of that. There is an incredible sense for me of going back and, and not getting lost in nostalgia, but really beginning to revisit one's childhood. Right? Um, there's a, a quote at the the end of the book. I uh, I quote uh, Carl Jung, and and he said. Uh, what did you do as a child that made the hours pass like minutes? Herein lies the key to your earthly pursuits. And a lot of the book deals with the characters' childhoods, right? And I, and I, I, I really enjoyed writing those chapters because I, I think I've been going on a journey back into my own childhood mm. and looking at what I was and, and what was influencing me then and how have I stayed true to that. Or particularly, getting certainly as I've moved into being a writer, that's more authentically who I've always wanted to be since I was, like, you know, 10 years old. But the other thing about being 60 is, and this is just starting to happen the past month, sometimes when I'll wake up or whatever, I'll see, and this sounds so freaking corny, but it's true, I'll see this kind of, like, dark tunnel and a little white light in the tunnel, but it's way off in the distance, like way, way, way off in the distance. 
but it's the first time I've ever had those kinds of images popping up. Mm. And I got to thinking, is that what begins to happen? That we begin to start seeing our mortality in these little glimpses. And then I, so I wonder, well, by the time I hit 70, and will that light and tunnel then be, will that be closer to me? I mean, I don't, I have no idea, but it's yeah. just sort of happening. So I, I, I am aware of, um, of that, but I'm also, uh, yeah, so, but, but it's, not a, it's not a scary feeling in any sense. It's not something that's troubling. It's just uh, there's a gravitas that comes with that, um, and you're aware of it. And, but, but it's definitely something that informs choices. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, yeah sure. I, I, sure. I can totally see that. And, and one wonders at the same time, does that wisdom then, do you think, making peace with that, all that? There certainly is, I think, some reconciliation that's involved, right? Uh, you know, you know, there's there's so many um, bromides and corny sayings about you know as we get into these so, you know senior years about live for you, you know uh, make sure you're making choices that are what you want to do, say no to things. I mean, there's a whole list yeah. uh, if you want to, you know. And and I um, I I kind of disregard all of that. And and but I what I what I what I do sense is that. Whatever wisdom we have, and I, I and I'm the first one to say, the older I get, the less I know. Uh, but the great feeling is, is that when one was younger and you didn't know things, you felt this kind of anxiety about that. Is someone going to find out you're a fraud because you don't know this? Whereas being older is like there's that great freedom and just saying, you know, I don't know about that. I want to find out, or can you tell me about it? Yeah. And that's something that I find um, quite quite uh, quite light, uh, not enlightening, but uh, a lifting of weight, um, so so along those lines, and uh, yeah. and I think any wisdom I I could say that I've acquired over over the years, and as I'm, as I'm moving through this, and, and as I try to burn my writing, is uh, just speak your truth, whatever that truth might be, and 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 and, and, and whatever your that truth is for you, stick to it. Yeah. You spoke a moment ago about how um, you have a younger brother, and mm-hmm. you wanted to expand the idea of family. So I'm an only child, okay. and um, I enjoyed um, reading about this dynamic that siblings have with one another, um, yes. seeing the, the relationship between one and another sibling, how it's different for each of them, and how one sibling can have a relationship with with. Uh, you know, a couple others, and that be yeah. totally different. Now, at the same time, after reading um, parts of the book, um, I'm glad I don't have siblings. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, my experience has been living without one, so maybe, you know, the, right. I'm missing something. But I'm very curious as to what you said about how you had one sibling and then you wanted yeah. the, the, the idea of wanting to know what it was like to have more. And, and more, and especially sisters. Mm, yeah, sisters, right? So that in the book, right, uh, Rudy has an older sister Evie and a younger sister Jojo, uh-huh. and and they feature prominently throughout the stories, right? So I, that that was, yeah, I, that certainly that. And I had because I remember I had friends when I was growing up, going going to high school, growing up, and that had larger families. And I remember I, I'd be occasionally I'd go there to be friends for dinner once in a while. That was uh, it was a novelty to me to say, wow. There's like seven people sitting on a dinner table, and they're all talking at once, and this this, this, this energy, right? Yeah. And, and you know, and I'd go home, and it was like a silent movie because um, <laughs> it just be like the four of us, right? And and then that's not knocking my own first family. Oh, I love my family, but it was just very different. And I think I recognized um, 
that need. And maybe that's why initially I got into the theater, because I wanted that sense of community and collaboration mm. on some level, possibly. You know, and you, we all know in our lives that we all have surrogate family through different friends. You know, like sure. the terms we use for like, oh, that, that, you know, oh, he's my brother or she's my sister. And we use those first family terms for those really close friendships because they are, uh, you know, our our surrogate kind of adopted family that, that we create in our life. Um, the saying also, I don't have any kids of my own, right? So that's something that I have a little zing later in the book, uh, which I, I, I won't give away, about being parents because that's not something... I've ever done is parent. Yeah. So, yeah. The, yeah the, so that, the other thing that, that that's fascinating is um, uh, uh, Rudy's younger brother Jonah. Yeah. Um, well, no, actually, he's a, it's his paternal twin. Oh, his twin. Pardon me. It's his paternal twin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I confused him with with Rudy with you. Um, the, um, the the relationships that they have with other people, especially Jonah's relationship with his older friend. Whose name I can't pronounce. You mean Iolanthe? Iolanthe, uh, yeah. yeah. The older widow, yes. Yeah, th- that's fascinating um, because it, it it shows how people are different with other people who aren't relations. Yes. And and here's a relationship where the the the, uh, the woman is much older. Yep. And it and it, it's a it's a real friendship, despite the age gap or or any other uh, you know difference right. in life, right? What what is it like to write a relationship like that, and and do, do personal relationships that you might have had inform something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great question, Joe, and it does. And that that's the very first story you're referring to, the list that opens it. And Jonah is um, uh, you know, Rudy's fraternal twin, and and Jonah's on disability, and he, he's married to uh, to Sophie and Iolanthe is a, a widow, a senior citizen uh, in her 80s in, in a nursing home. And uh, in, in the book, uh, Jonah wants to find a way to bring her to church service. So he asked Rudy if Rudy be able to pick him up and drive, and the two of them will bring her to service every Sunday. But Iolanthe is getting quite frail, and so that's proving a bit of a challenge. And through the course of these drives that Rudy does, bringing his brother and Iolanthe to service, at least to all this dialogue, and we find out more about Iolanthe's past, and we yeah. learn more about Jonah as well. And what and what what there's there is and and um, and I do have a, um, a lot of friends in my life that are seniors, and I mean older seniors in their 80s, and uh, there's just so much life they've seen and what they share, and and I really really um, love them in my life, and. So I wanted to create a story where, and Iolanthe isn't, you know, uh, the most likable character, but she's testy and she keeps thinking that they're stealing all her belongings at the nursing home. And she's had quite a tempestuous career, a tempestuous life, rather. But at the core, there's this incredible resilience and sense of self. And on some level, you look at it and you go, wow, this friendship between Jonah and her, because Rudy becomes a bit jealous of it, right? Because like Jonah's his paternal twin, so there's always a connection that twins have, unlike anything else. So he's a bit envious, he finds himself, that what is this secret magic that Jonah and Ilanthe have? And part of it has to do with Montreal, part of it has to do with art, but there's just this kind of meeting of life. And I think it's also because the way Jonah lives his life, because he's, he's at home and he, and, he, and he does his art, he has a slower life, so he has time to let people in that way, where most of us in our lives, are, we've got our jobs, we have this we're doing, and it's not always 
is easy, I would say, in this modern age to create the space yeah. to allow the slowness to to help us to to, um, to force those relationships. So, so Jonah has been able to do that, and so there's and and, and you really get there's something that each of them get out of that relationship and. And I wanted to write it because I wanted to really write a, uh, write a relationship where we, the reader gets a real sense of um, older people yeah. and their needs and just how, how wonderful they can be. And, you know, remember that was well, the, the great movie in the 70s, you know, Harold and Maude, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, right. When that was, that, when that was very different, that was kind of an almost, well, it was, it was a love. It was, it was a relationship. But, and this isn't that. This is just really, really close friends. Um, but then, and I think also because with Jonah's disability, he has a real childlike quality about him. There's a kind of innocence in him, uh, as well as being absolutely brilliant at the same time, right? I guess like that kind of like idiot savant in some ways. So it's that gentleness and innocence of Jonah uh, that all he sees is the goodness in his friend Iolanti and that I need to be that person that helps manifest this happen in your life so I can bring it to service on Sundays. And, and right, and he'll, he'll try to do anything to make her life better. And, uh, and she's at a point in her life, we discover, where she just wants to die. She's yeah. had enough of it all, and she's ready to go. And dementia's starting to settle in. And so Rudy sees the reality, and the reality's not pretty. Jonah sees the rose-colored version, so the story kind of combines both of those. And in the end, what there is um, the human heart, and then that—that's what I try to come out that the human heart of that. Eventually, these people do the right thing, right? And people try. For most most people are trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, the news and the rest of the world and social media. Uh, uh, there's so much out there that tell us differently, and there is horrors out there and just awful things, and, and you know, and recently more and more of it. Just last week, you know, with the uh, with the shootings yeah. um, mm-hmm. in Texas. But I honestly, in terms of people I have encountered in my life, most people really are trying to do the best, trying to do the right thing, and um, you know, we all mess up and we're not perfect. But so I wanted to write about that. I like I like I like living in that gray zone of that kind of area of human the human psyche. Um, uh, but, but in the end, I like, I like to give my characters a, a crack at grace, right? I think everyone deserves a crack at that. And, uh, however that might be for, for each individual. So I, I try to write from that place. So I think in my writing, it's really important that I create a sense of hope no matter what's going on. Um, and, and that there is some sense of hope that, that makes us want to get up each day and continue on. Man, you know, isn't that all we need in life, right? Oh my gosh, do we? Yeah. Yeah. I know. We sure do. And it, it and it's a, it's just a, it's a simple thing. Yeah. Right? Just that, that, that kind of reaching out. And uh, yeah, I, and I really, again, when I was sharing with you at the start of this interview about writing characters that feel that they could just walk out of the book and be in my real life around me. Um, the, these, the, these characters in particular, yeah, they are as real to me as, as people in my actual life. I really enjoy, enjoy their company, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are parts in the book where, where you know, they're laugh out loud funny, and 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 you know, I got the same thing when I read Kinmount. Um, the thing I noticed as I was reading your work um, is, 
you, you seem like a perceptive person, and I'm not just talking about big things in life, uh, just as you, you've alluded to, but, but sort of little behavioral tics or, or habits, um, things that, that um, you obviously have noticed in other people that, that, that mm-hmm. you are able to invoke in your writing. Um, this skill at, at perception, did, did you have this early on? Like as a kid, did you notice people a little bit differently than, say, other, other kids would maybe? I think you know. I think I think it's true, Joe, because I was a very, I was a very shy kid growing up, and and my younger brother and I, we were we were like we were opposites. We were completely different from each other. He was the he was the kid that was out there, you know, building go karts and being a daredevil and and and, and, and everything else. And I was the uh, the shyer one. Um, well, I dedicate the book to my my brother, mm-hmm. and uh, I say for my brother Greg. Thanks for cutting my half the lawn so I could read, mm. and that says a lot about my, my my early childhood, where I I fell in love with books at a very young age, uh, beginning with my mother reading to me, and then I and then and then I couldn't wait to go to the library every Saturday and sign up more books. So already I was in a world of reading and getting lost in those worlds, and because I was relatively shy, and I had a, I had a, you know a few friends that was but but I wasn't. I, so it made me naturally. I was I was I would watch people, and I remember uh, a friend of mine's mother saying to me, "I think I was around 13, 14, She said, "You know, you're a very unassuming personality," and I didn't know what she meant at that point. So I had to go and look up the word unassuming, and uh, and then I, I quite liked uh, what she meant because I, what, what, you know because it means you don't sit in judgment and you just sort of take things as they are around you. So in doing so, you make it easier for other people to be able to feel comfortable in their own skin around you, mm. and and I think that and that was part of it for me. And and so then when eventually when I got interested in in theater in high school, and that was more so because an English teacher needed to fill in some male chorus roles, so came to me and said, "Hey, we need someone for the male chorus. Do you mind? Do you want to do this? Two lines." And so I did it, and that and that opened up this whole new world of community. And then that, but but it's certainly you know as an actor working as a stage director as well, you're always you know all that is is applied psychology. So looking what makes that person tick, or observing things around you that you can then incorporate into a role, or and so that, so then that that sort of took all that. I think what you're what you're asking me about about observing the world around me further as, as I moved into theater, and I think I think that's why from a very young age I watched. Yeah, and yeah. as an as an actor, as a director, you have to you know work to understand another person or another character or, or different characters, different people. Um, that experience certainly has has um, been beneficial for for your work as a writer, hasn't it? I mean, I can't see how uh, creating a short story or a, or a piece of fiction um, isn't helped by. That well, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I think of it, Joe, as being kind of a, a healthy cross-pollination. Mm. Um, because working as a, let's say, a, whether it be an actor or a director, when you're working on a script, you're always, the scripts are all about conflict, right? A play, a film, it's, it's conflict. And, and so right away, you're looking at, well, what is this character fighting for? What obstacles are getting in their way? What are they going to do to try to overcome those obstacles, and are they successful? And so that's the core of any story, right? To that's the core. So all that work certainly applies to the narrative structure of, of a book, 
or short story, um, what you're writing, those common threads through. And then in writing, um, especially humor, I mean, Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut uh, talked of that, you know, create a, a central character that your reader likes and then do everything possibly horrible that you can do to them. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put them to the ringer, right? And that's the idea. Then, then you put that central character and you throw so many options at them, you know, and depending whatever, you know, whatever medium you're writing, you know, you write in fantasy or writing science fiction or whatever it might be, those, those things obviously change. Um, or it, but usually in my case, they're more emotional obstacles uh, that they're dealing with. Um, and then, you know, then, then let them go at it and see how they do. Um, so that, that's where the two, um, the two art forms are really complementary. And uh, so I certainly believe that my work in the theater has helped me with my writing. But at the same time, my writing, too, also helps me coming back when I do theater at the same time. Is the writing of, of fiction um, different than, say, con- constructing a, a scene or a script? I mean, do you, do you write differently? Yeah, it is, because... When you're writing fiction, as a, like when you're writing a play, especially you're writing, essentially it's all in the dialogue, and there's mm-hmm. some simple stage directions, right? Or in a screenplay, there's a minimal amount of, of description. When you're writing um, fiction, especially when you're writing from the point of view of a central character, right? You get inside their thoughts, and you're writing those thoughts down, and how they view things. And you can, you know, you can read good writing, and you read like three pages, and it's all just this internal thinking of the character, and there's no dialogue at all which is why some books are better suited for film than others, right? Um, and, and so there's a very, very different process. Which yeah. is why they haven't made Catcher in the Rye into a film yet, right? Yeah, and Salinger, was, and Salinger would never let that happen, right? And still now, you know, with the estate, that will never happen. I mean, uh, they, had, they had tried after he died. They were still trying to work on getting that to happen. No, that's, no, not at all. Yeah. Right? Or any of his work, right? Because, I mean, I always would wonder, well, who would you cast as Franny and Zooey when they made that film? Or who would they cast as the Glass family? But, but I'm, what I'm more interested to know about is supposedly all the files filled with all these further stories oh, of the yeah. Glass family that he never wanted published, right? Yeah. That, that are there, that are they ever, I mean, some, some things have seen the light of day uh, in the New York or something, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I've purchased a few of the very early short stories that have become available um, that weren't available up to uh, after his, his, his up until until after his death. Yeah. But I'm fascinated to see if more of that comes available and what is it and how is and how is it right? Because there's a certain madness of that where you just sort of you know, hermit yourself in and you still keep writing about these characters, but now you're so protective of them mm. you don't want anyone to to read to read it. It's almost like how people are with their own children, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you you um, say something that made me laugh in the acknowledgments that that. Um, <laughs> You, you always stay at the credits uh, yeah. at a movie and that we yeah. should all read the acknowledgments at the end of the book. And, and I, I, I must say, um, I, I totally agree. I always find at least one question. Um, I can yield one question for, from the acknowledgments in an okay. interview. All right. And, and so I, I, I think that that's, a, that's great advice. I mean, uh, people should read the playbill. Uh, when they're at the theater, shouldn't they, and read the bios yeah. and, and the sort, right? Yeah, they yeah they should, and and I think and I'm I'm one of those guys. I do. I go to the films, and especially especially when it's a if it's a blockbuster. Yeah. And I haven't been in a theater in a while, but I know I will be getting back there soon. And you're sitting there, and you know the credits of, of the CGI of a blockbuster they go on for like another eight or nine minutes sometimes, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
I'm there at the end because there's no way. No, because I look at everybody worked. Everybody here worked as part of this team to put this film up, and I want to see their name. And even if they just, even if they they go by quickly, I still want to bear witness to that because it matters. The thing I'm always astonished by, Rod, especially in the acknowledgments of a of a novel or a piece of fiction like 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 um, Grim Reaping, is is that you know as solitary an experience as it, it is for a writer like yourself. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people involved. Yes. And in your case, um, th- th- that's th- that's uh, friends and family and sort of the, the people in the, in the book business that you have to deal with. Um, there's a lot of life, I guess, that, that goes into a, a, a book like yours, right? Certainly there is, right? And then you, you look at... You look at what you're drawing on from your own life, as you're saying, right? Drawing from your own friends and family and how you're morphing them into fictional characters in the storytelling. Yes, there's all that. So the act of doing that is, is solitary. But you're, but in your own imagination, it's not solitary at all because you're pulling all these elements. And, and it's an interesting process, the writing process, because usually with myself, I'll get to my third draft and then it's ready for the editor. Uh, and the editor-writer relationship is a sacrosanct relationship. Yeah. It's, it's like a director-actor relationship. And you find the right dynamic, right, where you trust your editor and the editor like trusts the writer's work, then it really uh, can reap, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> great dividends in yeah. writing. And I've been very, I've been very fortunate that I, I've worked with um, both John Metcalf and Mitchell Gobin on my writing, and, they are, and they're very different uh, kinds of editors, but they're both... So good at their craft, and and, and they and they get me because the editor has to get the writer and what they're what they're writing about. So that journey, then, when you start then sharing your writing with editors, and then you're doing that work of the rewrite, and then eventually, then it, then you get the publisher, then it starts moving into all the externals where cover designs are happening, and you're 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 getting uh, advanced reviews coming in as as you get rid of launch this out into the world. It's a very interesting process because you have to shift yourself and change, like from going from, you know, creating this world, gently creating over how many years, then to like like where I'm at now with Grim Reaping, which is you know launching it out uh, into the world, you know, in a uh, officially in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks, um, yeah. and uh, you know, so it's uh, then that requires a different side of yourself, right? As you start then moving into well. Like, like the, the, this interview with you and, and, and all the others that where then you start talking about what you've been doing sometimes relatively unconsciously for a number of years as you put it together. You mentioned that um, the, the writing almost took you by the hand. Uh, these characters took you by the hand and that yeah. you, you, yeah. you they inspired uh, something in you. Um, that's the thing that I, that I kept, um, as, I, as I'm reading the book, I, I keep thinking that the, these characters... Um, are, are so rich that they could take um, uh, t- take on life beyond this book. I mean, are, are, are these people that you're still thinking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. And especially now, as I'm, I'm just this, this summer, I'm doing an, uh, an Ontario book tour where I'm going to be at a different bookshop or event every weekend this summer and i'm going to some of them are signing some uh-huh. of them are readings and signing some are q and a they range but i'm going to be i'm going to and i'm going to be reading reading from the story so i'm looking forward to bringing them to life through reading aloud but no those these characters no they, they stick with me all the time 
And I don't know if that means that down the road I'll write another collection with these characters. I, I don't know. I mean, I've got another, uh, my next novel, I've just finished the fourth draft of, and it's going to my editor uh, in, a, in a few weeks, and that begins its journey to, you know, so I'm hoping that will be coming out in a couple of years. So that's where that's at. Um, so, but I might come back. I very well might come back to these characters because I certainly have found in Rudy Boyle uh, uh, an alter ego that uh, he can say things that I, I can't always say. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, and that's just, I think, with, when, when uh, you know, when Stuart McLean wrote the Dave and Morley story, sure. right? That's what, that's what he found. And, uh, uh, yeah. And so, I, yeah, I, I, I can't say what. I, but I do think that they, they may come back at some point. But I don't know, I don't know exactly how yet. Yeah, you you mentioned McLean. Um, you've been this book has been compared to, to his and his characters, and, and of course you mentioned Sedaris earlier. Um, they really, I mean, um, beyond reading these characters, you know, they, they they could take a life of their own in another form, in another medium, maybe. You never know. I mean, hey, if anyone's listening and they go, hey, you know, we want to adapt Grin Reaping into a limited Netflix series, and each one of your stories is an episode, you know. I'll, I'll take the phone call, but but, but that's right. That's that, that's a whole other. But yeah, and, but yeah, I think I first discovered that idea of that, uh, Joe, way back when I was like reading Shakespeare in uh, in university. And we talked a lot about this when we talked about Kinmount a few years back. Uh-huh. But when I was introduced to the first folio of Shakespeare by uh, my mentor Neil Freeman at York University in the early '80s, and suddenly I was discovering like uh, I would wish that like Rosalind, as you like it, would step off the page because she's like the ultimate, you know. Wow, she was just, or or how Prince Hal would step off the page, and you could, you know, and and go and play a squash game with him. He'd be great, or you know, just how some of the characters, how I felt Shakespeare had made them so flesh and blood that they could walk off the pages. And certainly, a lot of the reading I did, you know, as a kid, when you know, of course reading, you know, Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis, but then moving into um, Salinger and and, and Mordecai Richler. And then Milan Kundera, uh, then, then and John Irving. So I'm just throwing out some of those reads that I was doing. And part of what made me fall in love with those book, their books, was that their characters I felt could walk off the page as well. And I think, right, with, with great writing. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to say great myself, but I mean with that kind of writing, uh, that's what I think the reader wants to feel. And, I, and I'm so, so uh, heartened to hear that you that, that, that the characters affected you that way. Well, it is great writing, and and um, uh, you have to be complimented because the the, the characters are um, they give you something to relate to uh, beyond whatever situation that they're they're talking about or they're going through, um, and and yeah, even if you uh, you know even if you don't like them per se, um, they're 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 interesting enough that you want to know more about them. And you want to read, you, you want to know what happens to, to Evie, and, 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 and you want to know, you know, what, what else happens in the book. So I can't wait to get to, to get back to it and, and read it. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'll, yeah. I'll offer my congratulations on the book, and, and, and good luck, um, and, and I hope you have a great summer. It's nice talking again, Rod. Joe, absolute pleasure talking with you, as always. The website for more is at rodcarley.ca. The book is called Grin Reaping. It's uh, from Latitude 46 Publishing. It's author Rod Carley. Join me on the line from North Bay, Ontario. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Planta.